I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. To me, I just don't on, I would never, that's why I'm not on Twitter, (laughs) because the people that are utilizing it have no restraint of pen and tongue. Mm -hmm. And it's just bizarre because it's such a powerful tool, but then they'll be like, I like to murder kittens. Yeah. And that's like, what have I done? Right. And I'm like, are you not aware that this is exactly what can happen within a hot second? So it's strange to me when people are like, I had no idea what would happen if I said that incredibly homophobic, racist, transphobic thing i'm like but this is what happens within two seconds yeah and things it's strange to me i'm ducking out you're ducking out let's dike out together see what it's all Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, the podcast where two lesbians practice their radio voice. I'm Carrie Berg. And I'm Sarah York. And today we'll be diking out with filmmaker Aaron Greenwell about queer representation in movies. That's right, a guest that's not a comedian. Aaron, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be here. Great radio voice. I think Terry Gross still has a job. Only if, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, only if you host a very specific show about like 
like romantic novels or something. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, where you just well, or you could be like an audible, like a like a narrator. Yeah. Okay. Books. I'll keep working on it. No, I think you're. I think you should work on this. Aaron is the head of Smithy Productions, <laughs> a production company with the aim to house various talents from queer and independent art community, from the queer. Oh, okay. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> Should have stopped while I was ahead. Aaron is the head of Smithy Productions, a production company with the aim to house various talents from the queer and independent art community under the umbrella of narrative and documentary storytelling. She wrote, directed, and edited the 2012 film My Best Day, which debuted at Sundance and has a cameo with none other than Kate McKinnon. Oh my God. That's awesome. I know there's like a lot more important stuff than Kate McKinnon in that movie, but I feel like that's like Mm -hmm. instant lesbian interest from (laughs) from our listeners um i was actually so the the radio voice thing i went to this uh radio slash podcasting queer networking event okay uh, very niche it was in brooklyn in brooklyn you can find anything you want (laughs) and one of the women i met there was super funny, super interesting, and then I went to listen to her podcast, and the intro was such a radio voice and really? so different than the person I talked to <laughs> at the potluck, and I just I got such a kick out of it, That's and I was great. like, oh, what if I talked like that on my podcast? That'd be so silly. <laughs> yeah, that would. I liked it. That was good. Yeah, <laughs> it's not my diking out Carrie Berg voice. <laughs> oh, Janelle Monet tickets. Oh my god, went on sale. Listen, I blew my budget with Beyonce. Did Wrong I tell you that choice. I bought? I know. Okay, so I have a I have a problem. I bought tickets to Beyonce on something that's not Ticketmaster. I bought them on. Well, I like I I like I don't know what happened. I I realized they were for sale available on this website. I like blacked out and I bought them. So, but what I did, I think I'm okay. But I'm going to talk through with you guys. I bought them on this this website called Event Center, and it's um. It seems le- it's legit. It's totally legit, but you don't actually get the tickets until like three days before the show. So I spent like a lot of I spent, <laughs> I spent like um, almost like imagine rent. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I spent on these. That's fair. Yeah, for Beyonce it is, and but that was like normal price. That's not no. Like that's a, like I mean that's just what it is. Yeah, and they're the not even value like, for the tickets. They're not even floor level. They're yeah. like. They're they're pretty good. Yeah. But so I did that. Um so I'm going to get them in on July twenty sixth, which is like three four days before the show. Mm. So I'm not nervous because after what I like to do is I like to make rash decisions and then spend money and then research after. <laughs> and so I did it and then I like frantically Googled, you know, this service and yeah. there was nothing on the internet that that, that, that like suggests that it's not legit. Like yeah. They had great reviews. Everyone was happy. No, I, I didn't find a single thing in my Google search that indicated that I got ripped off. But you know, I did that with ordering the diking out temporary tattoos, pride oh, tattoos really? on our Patreon Man, site. We're just a couple of high stakes gamblers uh, out here. You know, I'm usually so careful about everything, and I'll I'll shop around. Yeah. But the first site I landed on was pretty good, and. I, yeah, I just ordered like hundreds of tattoos <laughs> and then afterwards thought about it and because I didn't get a confirmation email right away and I was mm, like, scary. Oh, I wait need a confirmation minute. immediately. Yeah. So I start Googling. I'm like, is this a scam? But the, 
it yeah. wasn't. It was fine. So oh, the world of temporary tattoos is yeah. probably not very scam ridden. I would imagine. Yeah. Well, some places don't make them well. Like I got a test run from another place, and another it was crap. no bueno. So yeah. So anyway, um, I'm oh, I'm just I don't no, know if I can do Janelle no Monet. No Monet for you. Yeah. Uh, I know it's a bummer. I got them. You be did. There. <sighs> yes. So I got the general admission section. Great. So if anybody wants to uh, deck out with me and my wife at Janelle Monet. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe I'll do it. I don't know. Um, well, that's exciting. Yeah. One other thing uh, going on in the the news. Have you seen the stuff about Joy Reid? Mm. No? Yes. Oh. So Joy Reid um, from MSNBC, and she's, you know, on all the um, Sunday meet the press mm-hmm. type things a lot, and um, awesome, smart, progressive. She's Big fan of hers, and then somebody found old archived pages from her old blog that she had from 10 years ago, and it had a lot of problematic, Mm -hmm. homophobic stuff in it. And at first I saw a couple things. I'm like, well, you know, maybe this is in poor taste, but I wouldn't say it was homophobic. And then I found the Twitter thread that had all the things. Uh Uh-oh. And it was a lot, and it was an overwhelming amount. It was, it was just kind of she was being snarky about gay people and really othering mm-hmm. gay men, especially, and saying stuff like, you know, straight people don't like to see two men kiss, and which you know, there's some truth to that. Yeah. And and she wasn't, but but then but then she went on to say like. Uh, that she didn't want to see Brokeback Mountain because she didn't want to see two men having sex and was like, does that make me homophobic? Probably. Or well, something. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but then it was like speculating that certain people were gay and... Really? Uh, yeah, like outing people and having her list of not gay celebrities and not gay Was this when she was a journalist or was, she, was this like a, like a, a live journal? Like... <laughs> I, no, like I, I, think, I think she had some type of platform, but based yeah. on the screenshots, it looked more like a live journal. Yeah, it yeah. seemed more like a personal blog. So I the, think the, the thing is, if she if she came out and said this was ten years ago, I'm very embarrassed by this. I'm so sorry. This obviously uh, isn't me yeah. now, and my views have evolved, and I was very you know ignorant about those issues back then. I would have forgiven her. Yeah. She said that at first, and then more screenshots came out, and then she said she had been hacked. Oh, don't say you've been hacked. I know. This, this is like Anthony Weiner level yeah. <laughs> of lying about uh, an embarrassing situation because the the way that like somebody would have had to have hacked her 10 years ago. Right. right. That's because a, these were archived what is ha- Yeah, like hacked pages. is when you tweet something problematic right now. Yeah. Then people say, or if the blog was still live and you know the pages were, but like the blog isn't live; it's off the web. Yeah. But there's this site that archives like who, every who internet. Who dug it up and found it? Do we know much about that? Um, I don't even know. No, I think it's somebody I'm who pretty criticizes sure like, her. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it was in retaliation for comments that she made about Bernie Sanders. And I think oh, they were Bernie people. I think it was. That, it's yeah, like I Bernie think it was Bernie people that are going for her. So. Uh, that that sucks. Like it all sucks, but it's. Yeah. I w- I wish 
that she would just own. If you just own just it, own like it. just fucking own it, own it. Also, like I wouldn't want anyone seeing what I wrote on my Zanga in two thousand five. Well, right. you know, I, a <laughs> you lot know? of the stuff that she was saying, I mean, you know, how, how often. I was 19 in 2005, yeah. not however old she was and when she wrote these. But like so, some of these are, are comments that, uh, you know, a, a lot of people in my life have made and not excusing yeah. them, but I haven't been like, get out of my life, you know. Right, right. You know, maybe you explain why mm-hmm. they're problematic. But the other things like talking about people you, you think are gay that's something yeah. that I'm totally like guilty. outing people is yeah, but but then but I'm not doing it in a way that's like ooh that I have this like dark secret. It's more oh, of like this you fun mean like world in my head where like Oprah and yeah, Gail yeah. are totally doing it. I mean they are yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not like really you know it's not this you don't malicious, like have evidence like, and you're like trying to dox the person yeah yeah, yeah. And, or and, like ruin their career or whatever plus it's not something that i view of like oh this is like a bad thing about this yeah. person it's more like wishful thinking exactly we are yeah. just projecting our wishes on celebrities not yeah. like trying to discredit them yeah. in that way or like say that they've been lying about their sexuality or whatever yeah. Yeah. speaking of which the janelle monet uh-huh. i had such an embarrassment on facebook Oh, yeah? Because there was one day where it was like, Janelle Monet comes out. And I was like, hey, everybody, it's Drew. And I didn't even bother to read the article. Oh, I did that <laughs> And too. then someone was like, I I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but she just alludes to being maybe bisexual. She's And I was like, sorry, everyone, it's not. <laughs> False alarm. I didn't read oh. it at all. Well. <laughs> As you like reel in your big rainbow flag, like, uh, sorry, yeah. guys. <laughs> and it was right when Kevin Spacey. Got oh, busted. Yeah, so I was yeah, like, yeah. I was like, okay, Kevin Spacey's out, but we got Team right. Janelle Monet. We do have right. some bright like, news today. And then it was like, no, <laughs> no. you look like an I'm idiot. I'm the queen of retweeting things and commenting on them without actually reading the, their articles. No. I do that shit all the time. I'm pretty sure I <laughs> I, I woke up. Nothing. I woke up I and saw that and retweeted it from our Diking Out account immediately because I was so excited and I love Janelle Monet so much. And our listeners are probably like, wait a minute, you've talked about Janelle yeah. Monet being with Tessa uh, Tessa Thompson Tessa Thompson the past five episodes is that not true <laughs> wait a minute I still that's think all you true. guys talk about yeah I think it is I think it's like a thing I think now. you're right Aaron I think I think I, I don't think that she you know wants to come out with the rainbow flag yeah. but, but did we see the vagina pants <laughs> oh yeah we saw the video yeah. which is I amazing think, uh, yeah yeah uh, before we get into the topic, I'm going to quickly say that uh, since we're talking about representation in film, I'm excited that so we're recording this on um, the 25th of mm-hmm. April, and tomorrow Disobedience comes out. Oh my god, I can't and wait! And I'm gonna see it. I cannot wait. I'm gonna use my movie pass, and hopefully it's not sold out <sighs> everywhere. She has a movie pass, everyone. Yeah, in case you didn't know, <laughs> newsflash: take a shot if you're Vitamix doing the diking pass. out <laughs> drinking game. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm very excited. And you got two oh Rachels God. in it. <laughs> I mean, the two Rachels. And I mean, it is another lesbian movie that, like, the thing is their yeah. forbidden lesbian love. Um, so, you know, still holding out for more movies where people just exist as lesbians and it's not a problem. Um, but uh, interested in but hearing your take. But it's an interesting way to frame there. it. Like, I think the story is interestingly. But it is a good story to yeah. tell. And it's a, a story that, um, I mean, that the Orthodox Jewish community. Mm-hmm also doesn't have much representation in film. So it's a a double whammy of representation. Are you going to see it, Aaron? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, to me, I think, yeah, it wouldn't make any sense if it was outside of that community, but mm-hmm. it's yeah. just too good to be true. Yeah. As far as like, what's the last place Forbidden Love has been put? And it's like, oh, there's still the Hasidic community. Yeah. yeah. Like since 1965, we've been putting two tortured women together. There's only like the Hasidic community and like two people working know. at Wendy's. I don't know. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't like know. Down it's South. Be... I don't know. Yeah. I think it'll be great. Yeah. I've only watched the trailer like 60 or 70 times. So. <laughs> Uh, well, I guess next episode we'll have our oh my God. official review it's be great. on it. Um, I'm sure I'll scream about it on Twitter at some point this week. <laughs> so, Aaron, you are a filmmaker. Absolutely. What made you <laughs> What made you want to get into that? Ironically enough, when I was in, I think the fourth grade, we had to give a like a story from history, and I was at my dad's house, and I watched Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is the best movie ever. <laughs> and uh, I was like, were these real people? And he's like, they sure were. And he took out an encyclopedia and he's like, there was a hole in the wall gang and there was. And I'm like, this is freaking amazing. Cut to, <laughs> this is how I interpret the homework assignment. I like walk out, stroll out from behind the cubicles at my like fourth grade class dressed as Butch Cassidy. <laughs> Yes. And I'm like, howdy. Yes. My name is Butch Cassidy and I'm from the hole in the wall gang. You know. <laughs> And I remember like levitating almost above my body where I was like, suckers. Like yeah. I could tell like everyone was transfixed. Yeah. And this is a thing like it's not cool to dress up like a cowboy when you're in the fourth grade, you know? But <laughs> is it? I was like, I have completely mesmerized these people to the point where the story is capturing. Like I had this split personality where uh-huh. like yeah. fourth grade Aaron was like, it's working. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is like a really cool skill to have because I can get away with murder. Yeah. You know, in a time when you're worried about being picked on or whatever, I was like, I'm captivating you with this storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and like from there, I was kind of like, I was always the mimic, like we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. off, off microphone, <laughs> is like you, you become the funny one, mm-hmm. you know. And so from there, I think it was art seems like a really fun place to protect people and to have a different point of view and it also kept you safe though because it was like i'm also captivating you know the bullies Mm -hmm. like it's a it's a place to have like control see the world differently and also also escape like yeah so it makes sense to me that storytelling is like the place to be you know and then also like yeah the friend who i had a crush on who's like can i read your poem again and i'm like you sure can (laughs) you know i'm like this is the best yeah she wants to read it twice (laughs) Um, so for me, I just found that was a place where, yeah, I could escape, but also as a place where I could, would, could captivate people. And yeah. I thought, I thought that was really like, and I'm from the Midwest and it's like, I, it's, con, you know, the conventions were so that it was the one place where I felt safe. And yeah. so for me, I always loved movies. Like my dad would make me watch like quote, boring old movies and like, but I love them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then I was, I loved like these huge movies like Bush Casting and the Sundance Kid and like The Sting and all that kind of stuff. But then when independent film came out, like Spike Lee's uh, She's Gotta Have It or, mm-hmm. you know, I was like interesting because I love these huge movies, but there's proof that there being their movies being told from a personal perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I started wanting to make my own movies or write my own things. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's strange because I grew up on blockbusters and huge classic Hollywood movies, but as soon as independent films started coming out, like, 
Spike Lee really influenced me because he used to have those like how I made the movie books mm-hmm. where it's like the shoot day. I was talking to Daniela. It was like these kind of war stories. Yeah. And I remember like one of them, I opened it up and like the entire cast and crew for the most part was was black. And I remember like, obviously I'm not black, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I had this kind of surge of excitement where I'm like, oh, so this is possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the kind of feeling like you can make a movie with your friends. Yeah. And there was yeah. something very inspiring about seeing that that picture to me yeah. that carried over to when I started making lesbian themed films and working with like other lesbians and like working with women in general where I was like, not that I'm exclusionary of like working with like white cis men, but like, it was like, this is possible okay, though, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's possible to create this kind yeah. of this world and, and have perspective. So that's so, yeah, it's so interesting yeah. to think how, you know, nowadays everybody knows they can just make a movie with their friends and like yeah. how much more, um, accessible things are, but you know, it and wasn't it's remarkable how much, how, how really, how few years have passed from a time yeah. when that seemed impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Like know? not that long ago, it just seemed like such a, I mean, I remember it, your story resonates with me so much because I also did kind of similar stunts in class when I had to do a presentation, like I was doing a report out on reading a biography about Marie Antoinette and I dressed up like Marie Antoinette, but like post guillotine. So I just had like blood and gore <laughs> coming out of my neck, you know, like I, because That's amazing. I, yeah. Be, but, but like, you know, it was unexpected, but I loved getting yeah. attention in in that way. Or like, uh, after we did Lord <laughs> of the flies, so dramatic. yeah. Oh, Lord of <laughs> Lord of the Flies, I was whoever the the asshole kid is and I came out in like the choir robe and recited my whole thing in a British accent yeah. and was like in character the whole time. And and I used to want to be a, a filmmaker, I wanted to be a director all growing up, but it seemed something that was kind of unattainable. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do I go to film school, whatever? And then honestly, uh, Dawson's Creek came out. I'm like, oh no, I, am I going to be like him? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that started like dampening the dream. <laughs> um, I have a friend who I believe listens to this pod. She lives in New York, but we're, we went to high school together in Nebraska mm-hmm. and she uh, was one of the few lesbians that I went to school with. And she, I remember very vividly dressed as Arthur Miller one day to do like a, wow. a crucible thing in our, in our, uh, our American lit class. And so is this just, like a lesbian st- thing? I, I honestly, we just like, I'm like drawing. Like to- Lesbians are drawn to living yeah. history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. About dressing as the historical figures for whom they are presenting. Um, but, oh but you God, know, I never great. thought about it in, in terms of where it is kind of like this, safe space or where mm-hmm. you sometimes maybe feel more comfortable being someone else and having attention put on you, but you don't want attention on you for your real mm-hmm. self. And, and that's actually, um, you know, we mentioned Kate McKinnon before and, mm-hmm. and I always think of that when I think, um, or it, it always reminds me of Kate McKinnon because she's such a character actress, but she's so, personal and uh private mm-hmm. and it's like she only wants attention when she's being like zany or or wacky or silly or goofy and if you see her on the talk shows she's just like such a ham mm-hmm. but she's you know you, it's hard to have yeah. a sense of like who who is she doesn't uh, get like super yeah. personal or candid and even in like an interview like a talk you know like a late night talk show yeah. kind of setting yeah, she'll just they'll find ways to like get her to break into it. Just a character, yeah, it which seems like cool. she's always being goofy. Yeah, but yeah which is which is yeah. fine. But I think we can all kind of relate to that 
in in some level, yeah. you know. Did you watch a lot of like when you um, was your dad really into movies? Is that kind of what like that was his thing? Absolutely. Yeah, and I sort of got um, like media literacy from him uh, indirectly because he would be like, "Oh my god," and he'd rewind it and like be like, "Can you believe it?" Like he was kind of a film <laughs> mm-hmm. geek. Mm-hmm. But then I remember like seeing like the Blues Brothers. You both have seen that movie. I have not. I okay. have not. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm the worst. No, you're not the worst. It's like from like <laughs> the 1980s and my it was like dad, directed by John Landis. To, yeah, my yeah. dad used to watch it. So I, yeah. I've seen like parts of it. It's one of those things where it's like one thing leads to another leads to another where it like starts out really innocently and by the end it's like they have like Nazis after them, SWAT <laughs> teams. Like it's like ridiculous. Yeah. And I remember as a kid watching it, and I already was like, "Oh, I get it. This is the part where they get in the trouble with like, you know, these guys." Mm. Because later, the, you know, so I was already like as a kid because my dad would like make me rewatch stuff. I was mm-hmm. starting to kind of put together the the fact that it wasn't just a story. It was like there were tricks involved to like having dramatic structure. Yeah, so so you're like deconstructing the parts of the movie while you're watching. Yeah, so by the time I was like making stuff just informally with my friends, I like already kind of knew how to put a movie together. Yeah. That's awesome. Which is crazy. Yeah. So I kind of accredit him to it because I had this kind of like natural intuition, but I think it's because I rewatched him a gazillion friggin' times, like all these classic movies, like Some Like It Hot or Sunset Mm -hmm. Boulevard, like over singing in the rain over and over and over Mm -hmm. again. So then by the time I was shooting stuff, I was like, without going to school, was like framing things, you know, and just being like, ta-da. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I credit my dad to that. Cool. I recently watched Sunset Boulevard, and I I kind of like every once in a while mixing up a a classic movie that I feel like I should have seen, but but didn't see. I don't, I, so I was in a... the College of Communications at mm-hmm. Boston University, and a lot of my friends were film students. And the movies that they make them watch in uh, film one on one class, it's just like Rear Window and yeah. like just the, you know, Chinatown and the same kind of set of movies, but they all seem to be. Like, oh, this is a movie about a white man who is the protagonist always. And um, it, is that changing at all because you're you're also a professor of film and mm-hmm. um yeah tell us a little bit more about that it's i mean i love um god bless youtube yeah <laughs> like it's sort of like i had a friend who was a comedian and i was like what do you feel like when there's a heckler and he's like oh you pray for a heckler <laughs> he's like i love a heckler you know because he's like i can put you on your head, like, give me a break, give me a drunk heckler, please. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so to me, YouTube, when I teach, is kind of like that, where I can just, you know, like a student will show a film, and I'm like, you know what, that reminds me of, like, the scene from All That Jazz, and I Googled, like, the scene from All That Jazz, where, and I'm like, yep, there it is. Yeah. Like, so it's so cool, like, yeah. you know, because any anything a student presents, I can be like, you know what, this reminds me of, this... And if I think it, chances are some weirdo posted it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the most obscure scene because sure. mm-hmm. because it's iconic to someone. Yeah. So it's such a huge tool. Like if I didn't have the internet, I'd probably be like, oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But when I went to school, it was really rigid where it's like the syllabus is planned because they had to order the movies ahead of time. Like there was, yeah. so there wasn't as much as the, of that flexibility. And um, yeah, it was like read 20 different drafts of, I went for a screenwriting for undergrad and it was like read 20 different drafts of Chinatown and note where it changed. 
wow. <laughs> Which is a cool thing to know, but it was like, yeah. oh. so it was like yeah. Chinatown, Citizen Kane, Casablanca, over and over. <laughs> yeah. Know? And those are good movies, but like sure. by standards now, it's like literally I can see, say like I saw a movie like last week. I can't wait to show it to you in two weeks. Yeah. So it's just a way better tool to also just to so much has changed as far as like how people are shooting and editing it. It's changing so quickly. So yeah. it's like I remember being like, whoa, I got to quit being a square. Like I remember in like when I was adjunct and I kept showing like films from the 70s because they were my classics. Mm-hmm. And I was like, isn't this amazing? And the students would be like, no. <laughs> you know, like students were looking at it like, why do I have to watch this? And I was, you know, in my mind, I was like, well, I was tortured and I had to watch all these 1950s movies. So you're going to like watch all these 1970s. And then I was like, why? Like mm-hmm. if the same, if I can teach the same things that are um, helpful to developing your, your you know, whatever, vo- cinematic vocabulary or whatever to be called. Like, why can't I show something from last week? Why do I have to say this is a classic and you have to learn from this? Yeah. When you can just as easily learn from, like, Moonlight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, so to me, it once again, the internet and also the way movies are released now just liberated me as a teacher where I was like, oh, I don't have to, like, show things that are considered classics anymore. Where, once again, in my age, we had to watch things that were classics. And mm-hmm. it was just like... This is a classic. Shut up. Like, yeah. Same thing with Birth of a Nation. I remember that was like, go to the library and watch Birth of a Nation. And so, and it's like you had to go to the library and like sit in the cubicle. And I remember yeah. being like totally confused. And I kept like looking over my shoulder, like, is mm-hmm. this a joke? Like, I'm like, why? Why wasn't I given a heads up that have either of you seen that movie? No. Oh my goodness. I know what it is, but yeah, I haven't yeah, I seen it. I mean, because I was like, it's not ironic. This is a like, you know, because the president at the time was like, this is history written. Enlightening, and it's basically like clan propaganda. Whoa. Yeah. To the yeah. point where they're like, slaves are freed, and it's title cards, you know? Yeah. And so it'll be like, now what happens when they're free? And you see like black people or white people in blackface like eating watermelon with their shoes off in Congress. Whoa. Yeah. And so I kept being like, what is happening? Like my brain was exploding where I'm like, I don't understand what this is. And it was, it was being shown to us to prove, um, it was one of the most dynamic things as far as editing back then. Like, it was the juxtaposition and the way that things were cut together was technically amazing for its time. Uh-huh. It'd be like the 360 shot from the Matrix, like yeah, where people yeah, would be like, yeah, "How yeah. did they figure that out?" Yeah. yeah, you know, they put these two shots together. Yeah. Um. And so, I, but I remember coming to class and I'm like, "Excuse me, like uh, heads up on the like racism." Um, yeah. yeah. And the teacher was like, "Aaron, don't get myopic and and go down that like wormhole. Like we're here to discuss the art. We're not here to discuss the politics of the time." And I was like, "Oh boy." You know, so that was like frustrating because anytime you tried to say like this is sexist, racist, yeah. you know, I don't want this uh. to go into my head, it'd be like you're really being uh, t- you have too much tunnel vision. We're here to study the technique. Mm. So is, is that why I didn't like Gone with okay. the Wind because I had tunnel vision? <laughs> right. <laughs> I finally watched it and I was like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get it either. I was okay. like, really? Yeah. yeah. So there's a scene in Gone with the Wind where she gets raped. Mm-hmm. By her husband, I think they're married maybe at that point, but they're kind of estranged. I don't know. But he, she's like, I don't want to have sex. And he's like, I'm going to sex you and like <laughs> grabs her and whatever the dialogue was. And then it, it's like very, it's kind of like scary and you're like very concerned with her. And then cuts to the next morning and she wakes up with this like big, like post coitus smile on her oh face. My. And it's a rose. I'm like, what happened? Yeah. How there's no way that it just went from like her about to be raped by 
whoever he is. You know, yeah, yeah Rhett. And then, wow. yeah, Scarlet and Rhett, those are the girls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm like, he, he just raped her. And now yeah. she's like really happy. And I was so confused and kept waiting for like something to explain it. And it never did. No. And then there's also like the the slaves that are like supporting the Confederacy, and that's fun too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Yeah. I guess I should have been looking at it for the Ugh, I, that's cinematic kind of value. I can't color. Get into yeah, the, the technical. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what sort of keeps me from like exploring a lot of those older movies because I know I'm like this is going to be incredibly racist at some point. Yeah. You know, like I only recently, well, about three years ago, I watched uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. I think that's what it was, where what's his name plays the, the like, oh, Mickey Rooney. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Plays this ridiculous, like, one of the most breathtakingly racist depictions of a person in that he plays like the landlord, the Asian landlord character. Yes. Oh, and I was yeah. just like, I, I can't even get past this. Like, yeah. this is just not. And I know that I need to try, you know, I don't know. I don't care if it makes me like kind of an idiot that I haven't seen all these. Cl- like, I feel like I can't have it. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I shouldn't be in discussions about movies because I haven't seen all these older ones. But I simply don't want to sit there and watch movies without movies. lesbians. Like, yeah. So well, we know about, I haven't seen any of the lesbian movies. Yeah, you, have, <laughs> you haven't seen the ones that exist now. Uh, um, but w- what was the first time you remember seeing something queer in in a movie, some type of content that was like, oh, although this is interesting? Hmm. Uh, well, or TV, I guess. Yeah, even on a movie. Well, Go Fish was. I remember once again, if we go back to, and it was the same kind of time where it was like anything's possible, mm-hmm. but Go Fish came out and did you guys see Go Fish? Okay, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, how old am I? <laughs> like, did you guys see <laughs> Birth of a Nation and old Go Fish? Um, go Fish was a big deal because it was like uh, made by Guinevere Turner and Rose Trochet. Oh. Yeah, those guys. So, okay. So they've directed like TV Turner. and Guinevere Turner like has written a lot. And yeah. Um, but they were like kids and I think they came out of Chicago and they made this like movie. It was like, and Rose Trochet has a joke where she's like, despite the glaring, glaring film, uh, problems to that film, there was this kind of earnestness and excitement about it. Cause it's basically just about this girl who wants to get a girlfriend mm-hmm. and it's like shot on 16 millimeter. The acting is like by once again, the director's own admissions, like sometimes really bad because they mm-hmm. would just cast their friends. Sure. Like acting that's so bad, it's almost good. Where like it's like, room. now you stop it. Yeah. Or I'm going <laughs> to kick your butt, girl. Like yeah. just really bad yeah. acting. But it was so exciting because it was like women of color, women who really looked like lesbians. Like yeah. none of them were stars. Like, um, it, and I remember my sister was like, God. That movie, like, ugh, you know, it's like the typical straight reaction. And she's mm-hmm. like, I just get, ugh. And then she was like, if there was like some inside joke, I didn't get. And I'm like, well, that's the point. It wasn't written for you. For once, it was written for other lesbians. So, mm-hmm, like, yeah. even in the trailer, there was like a shot where it like pans across like her cupboard and there's like 18 different types of tea boxes. And yeah. you hear this voiceover where she goes, You sure have a lot of tea. And like, 
the audience was like, oh my God, so true. Uh-huh. Let's be a little, oh my, like we were just like crazy because yeah. it was like, oh, these are jokes for us. Yeah. Like this has nothing to do with legitimizing how we feel about each other or like, oh, it's so sad. It was like, this is just a sweet gentle, good-natured comedy, or it'd be like, you're taking the step, you're getting your hair cut short, aren't you? You know, like, it was just like, and so for that time, it was like, there was something so exciting about it, because it was so understated and just casual. Yeah. And it was so delightful just to see a movie that was just, like, about dating and these insider little, like, lesbian jokes for the time. Yeah. And so I think that was the, that was another movie that kind of changed, and and the big deal was, like, they made it for 30000 and they sold it to... Metro Golden Mayor for like three hundred thousand or whatever you know. Yeah. But it was like, and it showed at the Angelica. So to me, it was another thing of like, okay, now this is really possible that you can yeah. make a movie and and people will go see it. Yeah, um, I want to so check that, it out because I've been looking mm-hmm. for a movie to reflect my love in excessive tea. <laughs> yes, purchasing. you have been looking for that, <laughs> but it is like really like piss poor production value but i will say till this day like i will stand by it as like an important film mm-hmm. yeah um because it was there was something so honest and exciting about it that like hands down it's one of my favorite lesbian films awesome yeah you know so somebody who's not gay might look and be like oh yeah you guys have some movies yeah <laughs> but uh like just think of you know it, it's like if a lesbian were to get like one Queer or a woman to get like one queer superhero movie. There's like a hundred yeah. cis white men superhero. So yeah. they get a hundred. Right. Like if we get one, it's like, well, we already did that. We gave you one of those. You know, that's. I mean, I'm. You know, the '90s. I remember just being there. It's like so many bad lesbian movies where it'd be like. You are the most beautiful, th- you know, where it's like, <laughs> oh, it's the love scene where they're clasping hands. And yeah. yeah. There's lots of cross dissolves, <laughs> yeah. you know, and yeah. it's not just raining outside the car. It's raining inside the car. Like, it was just like, <laughs> like, just like, oh, you know, and where it's like, you, you know, I'm the sassy butcher one and you're right. the straight uptight one. Yeah. But our love, you know, it's over and over and over again. And I remember, though, people being like, why are lesbian movies so bad? And I'm like... It's not that they're so bad. Movies are just hard to get right in general. It's because though when a lesbian movie comes out, you're going to remember it because there's only one a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so I'm like, it's not that we're so bad. It's just like you're only seeing the ones that get released. And since there's only like at the time, like yeah. 10 people that get to make a movie, like yikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we're going we're gonna to get it wrong a lot more. Well, and I, I imagine that there there was a big reluctance and i think there still is to make these queer stories mm-hmm. because hollywood still thinks even though all of the evidence is to the contrary that people who that that it's too niche so that oh black people or uh, white people won't relate to a movie about black people yeah. or straight people won't relate to a movie where the protagonist is queer in any way or mm-hmm. you know when that's and I feel like never it, been the case. And then that <laughs> and that sort of makes that that like reaffirms the notion that these you know, this this is an industry that always wants to center and or cater to a white cisgender audience. Yeah. Which is white cisgender straight audience. Because that that's which been I the hope norm. is shifting. And I and I think that it's gonna take more really successful movies like in the case of 
studios not wanting to make movies specifically for black audiences, well, Black Panther just made like a trillion dollars. So like, and you know, Call Me By Your Name and Carol and all these movies that did really well in the box office, hopefully that, you know, it takes those big epic movies to, I I would assume makes, you know, studios and producers more willing to entertain the idea of diverse films, but it would be nice to see more just like, regular ass movies with gay characters or LGBT characters or queer characters that aren't, that don't center their sexuality as like the plot device. Yeah. That would be nice. But that, so that's kind of like what I'm hopeful for in the future. I think we're trending in a good direction. I think. So, so what, what has your experience been with trying to push that kind of representation into the, the things that you work on? Yeah, I, I'm kind of on your mm-hmm. um, where I'm like I'm going to make this so casual you can't stand it. So, you know, so yeah. <laughs> like that's my personal style. Actually. Yeah, because <laughs> I think like I think uh, my best day when it got into Sunday and someone said it's sunny and subversive and I was like thank you. Yeah, but I took that as a compliment because it was it was like I just presented this like there was like a through line. It's like an ensemble cast with many th- characters. Uh, threads to it but there's like a couple that's just going through kind of like a version of the seven-year itch where they're Mm -hmm. driving each other crazy and like one's eye is wandering and blah 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 and um but i just presented it as just like a couple going through their shit yeah and even though they're they're like in the middle of like a trailer park it's like you know this person works at a hospital this person's a janitor they're just going through their shit and i remember the grip at the time like He's like, this argument's cutting a little too close to home for me. Yeah. You know, and he was straight. Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah. You know, because the focus was just on the universality, I don't know, yeah, whatever. The, I like it. The general yeah. appeal of um, that something that everyone goes through, whatever yeah. that word is. But I remember being really proud when they said it's sunny and subversive because it's like, right, what's I'm subverting the expectation that it's all about the struggle of being gay and I'm just presenting characters that are going through their thing the same way anyone would. Yeah. And that's where for me, that's the importance of uh, how I want to subvert films. Like I don't want to make films that are just about like, it's okay to be gay or mm-hmm. like, it's yeah. so hard to be gay. Like I'm like, I actually want to like blow your mind and just, yeah, make a, a movie that just lets is, us exist, lets mm-hmm. us exist. And like, and you get to explore the character yeah. 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 beyond the fact that they're gay. Yeah. And so that's always been something that's, I just didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. I would just write that stuff. And then people are like, what's weird is it's gay, but it's not gay. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's because <laughs> I'm gay, but I'm not gay. Right. Like, I don't know. Like, so that's to me, I have that's more important to me. Than just this one part of, you know, it's yes. absolutely. But I, like that that's the kind of content that I want and mm-hmm. obviously I'm not alone in wanting more of but when Hollywood does produce and put the money and back something mm-hmm. that that is a queer story it's a broke back mountain it's a, a carol carol yeah. you know it's the forbidden love yeah and, or it's the you know big conflict someone's coming out and there's mm-hmm. a problem with it or it's a uh, you know super sad tragic uh boys don't cry and um like yeah or the uh what was the one that Ellen Page and and uh it's called like what's the one of them? one of them dies Julia Moore yeah, yeah what's I forgot what that was called Damn I forgot it. Free too. Held Free That's Held what it was yeah Free Held yeah I, I yeah and I think that like 
I would love to just see more. I would love to see more comedy like that. Like I think that's the one genre that we're just. A lot of these like lesbian movies that like if you go to the LGBT section or whatever they're calling it now on Netflix, there are a lot that are billed as comedies, but they always center sexuality and it's always something that's like like a vacation for one of the characters into hmm. same sex, you know, a same sex attraction or relationship, you know, because she has a boyfriend or she's married or something like that. Um, or she's a cheerleader. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Or I, I just, I think that that genre is one that would be really exciting to explore. Like, and I've talked about this before on the pod, but like, I would love to just see just a silly kind of irreverent rom-com. Yeah. That's just, it doesn't have to be epic, you know? Like, I, I just... I, lesbians are so good at comedy. Yeah. You think there'd be more. <laughs> I know, exactly. And it would just... I think it would be cool to just get to a point where, like... What was the name of that movie that Ellen was in? Oh, uh, uh, Mr. Right, uh, Mr. Oh, Mr. Wrong? Yeah. Mr. Wrong? Is that what it was? was? It? I think Bill so, Bill yeah. Pullman was in it, maybe? Did she? I I didn't see it. Was no. she like pretending to be straight in it or no? No, it wasn't. I don't think there was any queer story. I think she was just in it. Yeah, and it's so okay. funny looking at things that she was in before she was out. Because in hindsight, you're like, she's gay. <laughs> like, yeah, very much so. But it wasn't, you know, a thing. Um. Uh. So pull that. Yeah. Um, all Martha, played by Ellen DeGeneres, wants is to get married, but she just can't seem to find the right man. Wow. Because and, she's a lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> and people like, don't want to date imagine, women that wear vests and yeah. trousers. What, what year? What year? Just just find the now. right man. Like, like, that would just be, I couldn't get through that movie now. There's no way. No, I, I didn't even yeah. try. That's amazing. Oh, 96 wow. was like right before she came out, too. Yeah, yeah that's not a good oh, idea. Oh, man. She was, oh, I bet she was so over that. <laughs> I think that might have been around the time that she had her her beard. Oh, that guy that she was showing up. She tried. On the, oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. You always mm. know the obscure facts. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> did a lot of uh, a lot googling, of googling when the internet first came out. <laughs> there are a lot of oh, questions I had. Yeah, things yeah. I wanted to get to the bottom. <laughs> oh man, um, I was thinking about a movie that I saw uh, when I was in. I think I was probably 20 years old and I watched this movie. I'm pretty sure it was like a, like a lifetime movie. I know it was, I watched it on the lifetime network and it was called an unexpected love. And I Googled on the way here. Cause I couldn't remember. I Googled like lifetime lesbian and this was the one that popped up and it was the right one. And it was a, the worst, probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen, but like as far as the writing and the acting, but like, I clung so hard. I remember because I was sort of about to come out and I was like, I had never seen really two women like make out like in like a sensual way on on the TV screen. And it was so I remember being so completely captivated by this shitty movie. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it was made in 2003. And I just looked it up on the way here. And I remember being in college and like watching clips of it because it was just so fucking interesting to me to see two women like with amorous feelings for each other on a screen. Yeah. And I still don't feel like we have that many, I still don't see it very often on a screen, you know? And it's like, I don't, that we've just got to have more. There needs to be more and there needs to be more like just silly ass comedies, which is what I'm going to work on. So we'll see. Problem solved. I've been researching though, by watching rom-coms and wow, rom-coms are incredibly like, 
they're they're very they're fun to watch and analyze because they're such perfect three act structures. Yeah, but they're so problematic and so like like talk about gender roles just being like pounded into the ground so much into your skull. And those I think are the that, movies you grew up on. That scene of how to lose a guy in ten days where they're all playing poker and smoking cigars and drinking whiskey. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, they were like, okay, men being men, yeah. fade in. <laughs> it was yeah, like it li- I I would love to read a script for that just because it had to have like girl walks in, ruins their fun. Like it's yeah. so I actually mm. watched that last week. I do like that movie. Yeah. I, I, it's because I have a crush on BB New Earth. Anyway, uh, continue. <laughs> Let's keep it moving. Um, I have a crush on Catherine Hahn, so she's in that. Oh, she's the annoying friend. Yeah, like that, that's a that good character. Crush. Yeah. She's very funny, which I she's hilarious. She's so funny. Like, she kind of steals that movie a little. Like yeah. her scenes are great when she pretends to be the therapist, and I think like she was like too elevated of a comedic actress for that for that material. Yeah. yeah. Where did um, she go to school? Because I feel like. Meryl Streep's funny, went to Yale. Like, I always yeah. love it when really killing mm. actors are also funny. It makes me so happy. Yeah. And Catherine Hahn's one of those where I was like, oh, double threat, she's funny. Northwestern. Northwestern. Yeah. She's uh, she's also very, very funny in the episodes of Parks and Recreation that she was in. Yeah. I thought she completely stole oh, those yeah, episodes. Yeah. In a show full of extremely funny characters and people, and it was just a really well-written show, she, For like, sure. slayed. It was so great. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow 
grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. So in terms of queer representation, one question I have for you, or or any type of uh, representation in general, because for a long time, um, I think you can, I mean, there there are a couple sources of the problem. One is Hollywood executives or any production company, whatever, um, shying away from that thing and being afraid of, of, you know, um, isolating audiences. Um, But then also people writing movies and writing from their own experiences and uh, for so long and still writers rooms or most of the writers who are having their scripts bought and produce mm-hmm. are uh, straight white men. Mm-hmm. And um, so we, we need more um, queer people writing their experiences, but how do you feel about straight people writing queer storylines and queer characters like I and there's something like like I wonder for myself when when I write comedy I'm like can I write from a perspective mm-hmm. that's not my own and do it justice and it's like I feel like oh I can write for um a white guy you know right. but then it's like oh if, if I had to write like a, a for a straight woman or for no I, I could write a straight yeah. woman but like a, a black woman, I, oh, yeah, I would no, be like, like yeah. Ah, yeah. I don't, <laughs> you know, I would feel like that's not for me. But to, I think that you write. recognizing that is a good thing, but so, that so many screenwriters don't recognize and don't. And you, but you can see the evidence when people try to make movies from yeah. diverse perspectives and they're just ruining it because they're not considering those things. And I don't know, I would assume it has something to do with getting more people in the in the room to write, but... Yeah, I remember I wrote um, a script about the 1950s butch femme lesbian bar scene. Mm-hmm. And, like, nice. and, yeah. you know, the bar like, uh, Where do I buy tickets? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can we just stop the podcast now and buy that, please? Yes. I know. It's like, suits, suits, yeah. suits. Like, if you like suits, oh you're going to love Imagine this the movie. the costume department for that yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, mostly the, the white uh, queer people dominate the bars, but then in Buffalo, like then the house parties were mostly ran by uh, the black women. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote this character where I was like, Oh my God, like this scream right in front of mine was like, do we need to talk about Ramona? We need to talk. Do I have to tell you? And I'm like, no, I know Ramona's horrible. Cause it was, and she's like, I understand that you want to prove that like, this was a huge part of the scene and you don't want to erase this character mm-hmm. from history. But also the way you're writing her is fucking terrible. You know, be, excuse my language, but no, it, it was horrible. Fine. And I was like cringing. And I'm like, no, I know it's awful, you know, because she's like, this character is only existing to be like, hello, I'm a black person from history. Yeah. So she's not fully developed. She's like, I need you to sit down and write nothing else on this script other than like, why is she here? What does she want? Why would she be nice to people? What does she think about? Like, she's like, I need you to really go into this. And she's like, and by the way, I think you should also like get some guts and like, show this to some black people. Mm-hmm. 
you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it did. It, it like made the character so much better because I was like, yeah, what the hell? Like, why would she be nice to these people? Why would she trust them? Why would she want to hang out? With, like, I was like, what does this character want? Yeah. Um, so is that where like hiring script consultants? Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, then it was like, and I think that's what's exciting about, um, you know, when I think about transparent, mm-hmm. um, where it is, it's like, okay, let's like, you have so much for the episodic television. If because I for a long time I wanted to make this movie, and I'm like, this would actually be way better episodic because then you could be like, hey, let's get in some guest writers, guest mm-hmm. directors. Like, I think it's okay to. Um, feel uncomfortable and have someone tell you that like this sucks. Yeah, it and it is totally cliched and fit. Like I can take the pain of that. Mm-hmm. Like, and I I don't understand why people can't. Mm-hmm. It it drives me crazy when people assume that like, you know, like no, I'll get it right because like because it's I'm like brilliant, you, yeah, right? It's like I'm, you yeah. haven't lived it. Like right. At, at the same time, I think um, if we only wrote about what we were taught and what our experiences were, it'd be pretty limited. But I do think yeah. you need to have some respect towards, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that your character development might be quite flimsy, yeah, you know, or only seem from a really sheltered perspective. So that was the best kind of lesson I learned where this other friend of mine was like, <laughs> when she was like, do we need to talk about Ramona? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. no, we do not. I'm like, we do, but we don't. She's like, then we understand each other. It's terrible. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know? I, I feel like TV writers rooms, you, mm-hmm. you have more people and then there's, you know, you're able to, you know, hire a writer to write specifically for a, a certain character to do it justice. But in a movie, a lot of times, especially you're if your going at it by yourself you, or with like, a writing partner. Yeah. Yeah, and and if yeah, if you have a low budget, if you're producing it uh, yourself, which you know now a lot more people are not only yeah. just wanting to do it, but almost being forced to yeah. pr- do a lot of the production on their their own. Um, I don't know. I yeah. mean, it, it it's like I want all all this like all these queer characters and stuff, and that, but I like want them to be good and. I I don't even know how I feel about uh, straight people writing queer characters because I I think some might be able to mm-hmm. to do it well, but then there's a movie like um, Jenny's Wedding. Oh my! God. I haven't seen it. Okay, do you Catherine know what it is Heigl. though? Catherine Heigl. So Catherine Heigl played. I haven't seen. My girlfriend watched it and was like, "This is the worst movie ever." <laughs> it's uh, Catherine Heigl's getting married to a woman, right? And it's like yeah, a, it's supposed it's, to be like it's a Rory funny, from Gilmore Girls, yeah. And but it's there's the most unconvincing lesbian pair that you've ever seen. So you're not you don't even care if it works out. Like yeah, you just my sister was watching it, uh, and I you know I saw two women together. I'm like, ooh, what's this? And I sat down. I'm like, this is so bad this feels so much like it was written not by a lesbian and it wasn't i think it it was an older straight woman and maybe a gay man co-wrote it yeah i also the other thing about like so not only straight people writing queer characters but straight people playing them i think Mm. obviously as an actor you can do you're supposed to be able to do all of it but i would i would like to see more representation by queer women, but also women who are a little more on the androgynous, like, you know, 
even butch kind of end of the spectrum aesthetically because I, I really don't think I think that's another area that it's like where where the hell are those people where are these characters and where are these people you know all those lesbian movies from the 90s are like two hot femme women and one get got together. their hair cut short exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah if she did it all you if know it's all. like it's like Angelina Jolie and somebody else yeah cast <laughs> movie so that's that's the other other kind of part too is that I would like to see more actors more queer actors being able to play these honest, you know, these characters. I think Lena Waithe is obviously one that comes to mind of being just so perfect in that and that she she is such a force that they, like, wrote Master of None, that character, around her. Um, but, yeah, that's another thing that I think is really missing is, like, the visual sort of representation of the 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 full rainbow of, you know, mm-hmm. of all the women that are out there. One also, I remember my friend was a comedian and, she butchered that Julie, uh, Julie Goldman, where she's just like, she, she got sent on an audition one time and she was like, please don't send me out on this one. Like, it's not going to be good. And she said she walked in and everyone's face dropped because I think it was for like a reality TV show. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh. there's just, this is not going to fly. And she said she walked in and their face just dropped. And then she went, yeah. And she's like, do you want me to finish the audition? And they're like, well, you're here. You know, and she just like cracked them up and then left. But she was saying, she, you know, so many, you're not, if you're an actress and you're in like a conservator or whatever, you're not nurtured. To, they don't even nurture you to try because it's like, well, you'll never get cast because the writing doesn't exist for these roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's tough because it's like these, you know, teachers feel pressure to be like, okay, when you graduate, you're going to be successful. But then if it's like, okay, you're uncastable because there's no material for you. Right. Then they they almost don't nurture the androgynous actors because, yeah. you know, and so I think also what has to happen is like, I'm assuming because you guys are in comedy, but the material has to be ready to be used. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like what I was talking about with film where it's like, well, you don't only have to show the classics. It's like, I'm assuming when you teach acting, it's like, well, hey, it doesn't always have to be like the same uh, scene study yeah. that's like not gender neutral that only requires this type of ta- typecasting. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a double-edged sword where the material has to exist also. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, but for me, it's like, you're absolutely right. There's absolutely no representation whatsoever. There's like four yeah. actors. Yeah, I, And I can't even think of, I Leah guess, Delaria. Sarah Ramirez. Sarah Leah Delaria. Sarah, Sarah Ramirez. Ramirez, who only recently, as she's like become more comfortable, you know, with her, with, her sexuality and all that and is like out now and it's great. But now she definitely, her style has become like way more androgynous and, and um, she's like butch at this point. Um, But yeah, she's an actor that comes to mind. I can't, and and beyond that, I can't even think of who that would be. And I was thinking like, if I were an actor, like if I were to be going into auditions, I wouldn't even be able, I wouldn't even get through the door as a woman just going out for like a woman part because That's just not how I present who I am. So I think that would be that would be tough for queer actors, I can imagine. Well, it's upsetting too because also the roles also sometimes turn into like I'm a man light. Right. Where like yeah. straight, <laughs> straight women yeah. are intrigued. It's like the best parts of a man because you're sensitive, but you're kind of look like a man. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, what is this kind of cat? Like a lot of times I feel yeah. like those actors do who are androgynous get cast as like the bad the yeah. bad boys who like like the Shane, yeah, the Shane. It's like, and it's totally depressing because that's yeah. not all. Because there's no dimension to those characters. No. It's just that, like, 
you're you you can pretty much only be like the this kind of this maybe the sidekick in like a funny movie or a funny show, but not like you're they're not getting any deeper than just that one dimension. Is there anything that that excites you about the direction that the industry's headed in? No, <laughs> run <laughs> while you can. Um, no, I mean, I just think the older you get, you realize like, oh, films are expensive to make. Yeah, like. Yeah. It's harder and harder to get people to sit in a theater, and that's yeah. why people don't take chances on on films because it costs a lot of money. Like I remember one time breaking down a film budget, like because I, I had a student that was like, Psh, only 125 a day. Like I was coming up with like a really low budget scenario. Like I'd pay my people way more than that, and I'm like, okay, well let's break this down. And I like broke it down live, and I'm like, yeah, that's a five hundred thousand dollar movie. And they're like, I can't afford that. Yeah. You know, so like you, when you're younger, you kind of think like, I want to make my movies. Why won't anyone trust me? And it's like, well, because they're friggin' expensive. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do think what's exciting about what is happening is. Now you can make a movie, once again, with just a DSLR. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the freshman students that come in own their own, like, lenses and cameras where, like, my generation would be like, oh, goody, I get to, you know, stand, you know, for eight hours by the C stand and get bossed around. Yeah. Like, now people Mm -hmm. that were my age back then are like, oh, I just shot my movie and edited it on my laptop, but ow. Yeah. You know, so at least that financial barrier is out of the way. Um, And I think the next thing, though, is that, We were talking about this a little bit, but uh, I really encourage students to not censor themselves as far as not thinking that their voice isn't important, Mm because it is. Um, It's not like you have to write something personal, but a lot of times uh, uh, when freshmen come in, they'll be like, "Eh, I had this idea about the time I was like, whatever, like alone in Paris and I was lost, but that's so cliche. And I'm like, it's not cliche because it happened to you and it's going to be amazing actually. Like, please write that. Mm -hmm. Like, don't write two people sitting on a couch being like, what should we order? Wah, wah, we didn't order anything. You know, like, I'm like, I'm like, like, don't. Which is my experience. But But like, you know, you'll get these kind of things where it's almost like written from the point of view of something like they saw on TV that's really safe. Yeah. And I'm like, man, like if you just give me like a story that happened to you, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be really amazing. And and once again, if, if if it's something that people haven't seen, if it's outside the scope of like, the victim, the marginalized, the misunderstood, the in danger. Mm-hmm. It's so exciting. It would mm-hmm. be so exciting. So I think um, it's it's sort of, a, to me, it's like making sure that students don't self-censor themselves in in writing towards a market that they, sh- that I'm sounding kind of like a jackass because some people <laughs> want to make money and, and be mm-hmm. mainstream and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But I'm like, God, don't, you have the tools to make whatever you want. It's so cheap. So you yeah. actually don't have to play this game where you write someone else's dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you can actually present your own story and like put it on a website or it's immediately distributed. So please like do that. Yeah. Like make, make things for yourselves. So I think I'm excited about the tenacity of, of, of young people. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when we shot My Best Day, I was like, we put out an ad like who wants to help like drive or set up C stands or PA and like nothing was coming back. And I'm like, what the heck? Like I would have killed to be a PA in a film. And then my friend who was the DP was like, well, yeah. Cause like now people our age like have already probably shot their own features. 
Like yeah. they don't need us anymore to get experience because they can just go do it. Yeah. So I'm excited about independent film in that way. It's miserable as far as being a way to make money. Yeah. But it's it's fun because you have access to to create whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I I I'm excited for that. Just like the diversity of voices, there's not at least there's not that financial barrier. Yeah. Um, or if there is, it's something that's you know that's more certainly more workable than the hundreds of thousands of dollars that used to be necessary to produce. Right. Anything, like you had to anything. like shoot something and then get it developed. And yeah. like that was thousands of dollars where now it's like movies can be made on an iPhone. Yeah. And the expectation of what a movie can look like or where it can be distributed isn't, it's not so rigid. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's, that's what excites me. And once again, what's miserable about it is it's, um, it's film isn't respected the way it used to be, but that's okay too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I used to be like, I want to show my movies in a theater mm-hmm. with the lights go out and, you know, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. popcorn. And I'm like, but who am I kidding? Like I rip through Netflix series all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I love the romance of like, yes, you go in a house and the lights go out and everyone shares this collective experience. But, you know, I mean, it's okay to be flexible and realize that people want to watch things on their phone or. On their laptop as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah straight to streaming has, doesn't have the same stigma that straight to video used to have back in yeah, the day. Absolutely. Like, now it's cool to have straight to streaming. Um, when you were talking about that, it made me think about um, somebody that I saw. I went to this um, lesbian multi-fandom convention called Clexicon, and uh, there was a panel that I sat in about queer representation on YouTube. And one of the filmmakers who was there was this young woman. Her name is Braxy Jacobson. And she made a movie and put it on YouTube, and it has 9 million views. And I was like, what? And she just like, yeah, with like a DSLR camera, I'm pretty sure, and like a couple different lenses. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called Warmish. I didn't watch it yet. Uh, I do want to watch it. It's the sequel to another movie she made called I it was blowing my mind just to see uh, a young woman who was just like, "Oh yeah, I wanted um this kind of like lesbian romantic content and mm-hmm. I wasn't seeing it, so I just made it and then put it on YouTube and um but with YouTube it was interesting. I didn't know that you can't really monetize off YouTube if you're if you have queer content because anybody can flag it as being inappropriate and then that doesn't get the sponsored mm. oh wow thing yeah i didn't know and, that. and you it's so easy to have somebody flag something as inappropriate and so hard to get that reviewed and uh with like a critical eye and then yeah. like somebody might be able to review it and be like oh no this is okay only for it to get flagged by somebody else by like hateful people who are just going through looking to being flag trolls, everything yeah. that's that's gay mm-hmm and I'm like, ugh, so many barriers. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Steph, so it's like, okay, so now now it's easier to make this content, but where's the money? You know, yeah. where's the the support? And um, sure, we're having representation, but if people can't make a living off of it and can't, you know, have a, a comfortable mm-hmm. life, <laughs> that's kind of the dirty secret in the arts too. Is yeah. like, for the most part, successful. Filmmakers are already loaded. Yeah. Like this one, uh, Dan Schoenbrunn, who uh, does this series called Eye Slicer, where he literally like tours with 
uh, cool, weird, funky movies. So he kind of like will go from town to town and have people hand out flyers dressed like Martians and be like, come see our show. And like, but he was like, here's the thing that they don't tell you in film school or when you're in any of the arts where it's like, if you work hard and you you'll, and it's like bullshit, like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. pardon my language, but it's not true. It's like most of these kids already have money. Yeah. Yep. You know, yeah. he's like, I had money. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, I'm letting everyone know, you know, so that's, I think, something they don't prep you about in, in film school for the most part is that it's friggin' hard. It's so competitive. Yeah. It's so, so competitive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and and the this might be a digression, but I think it's interesting also is the elitism of things being technically perfect, mm. I think, needs to go a little bit. My My friend who... Uh, teaches like rock music and she focuses on teaching it to women and young girls. She's like, it's really interesting. Like the boys will run in and try all the instruments immediately. And it sounds loud and it sounds terrible. And they're like yelling, they're trying. She's like, the girls will go in the corner and like try to somehow get good at guitar before they even practice. Mm -hmm. And she's like, so the boys get better right away and the girls don't improve because they're too afraid to even be bad while they're practicing. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing as as film. It's like, of course, like I want films to look beautiful, and when I when I teach, I want you know technique and like, of course. But I think also it, there was so much snobbery, like what you were talking about. You used to be like, it's on like YouTube, bro. Oh, it looks so ugly. Ugh, these webisodes. <laughs> oh, well, that's not the way films should be made. And it's like, well, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's mm-hmm. okay because now people are being able to practice and actually get good. Yeah. Where before it was like you have to go to a school and you can't touch this equipment till here, and then you can't. Like now, at least movies are are being made. Yeah. Um, and I think there is it, just that kind of philosophy was so exclusionary once again to LGBT people or people of color because who's getting nurtured in in these colleges or who's being Mm -hmm. even nurtured in high school to even like attempt to practice these things. Yeah. Um, So this goes back to where I think independent film is going is I'm like, I'm excited about where it's going, even though it's not such a a rigid way of the way I grew up Mm -hmm. looking at films or or how films were taught. And so I think that's changing a lot too. Yeah. Cool. All right, uh, we do like to end our episodes with a, a random question. This one is somewhat uh, media and queer representation related, but uh, what's what's your first memory of seeing women kiss on TV? Oh man, this feels more like a pop quiz than like <laughs> yeah a question. But honestly, the, uh, probably Cruel Intentions with. When Sarah Michelle Gellar okay, and yeah. Blair. Okay, TV or movie. So yeah, Cruel Oh, yeah, yeah. So like that was, I was in, that was in 98. So I would have been in like seventh grade. And yeah, I think that was it. Even though they were doing it in a very like, oh, like truth or dare male kind gaze. of way. Total male gaze kind of way. Like that movie 99, is yeah. extremely problematic. But, but that was like these two beautiful, you know, and they were depicting high school kids we're kissing and I thought it was like, whoa. Yeah. So that was the probably that's probably the first memory I have of that. And you still didn't watch Buffy. Like No, I never got into Buffy. You weren't drawn in after yeah. seeing Sarah Michelle Geller make No, out. it didn't do it okay. for me. Her character was very mean in that movie. In but like intentions. in a hot way. Yeah, yeah. Kind of in a hot <laughs> way. <laughs> Aaron, how about you? 
Mine would be this movie called Hotel New Hampshire, which was based on John Irving's novel. And there was a kiss between uh, Natasha Kinski and Jodie Foster. All right. And it was the most, like, tender. Like, it, they couldn't have put more shadows on it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. To, like, you know, oh, it was like. Without just fully turning the lights off. <laughs> right. It was, like, barely her nose and, like, Jodie Foster's hand. And, like, I think they latticed the lighting. The yeah. lighting so it was, like. It was lots of shadows. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, just being like, and it's like three seconds, like, bah, 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 and there's just, I'm sure if you Google it, it's going to show up. Because some, once again, if you think it, someone mm-hmm. has posted it. Yeah. But that I remember just being, like, so exciting. Like, I would watch that whole stupid movie just to see that kiss. <laughs> so that I, was the first one. I don't know one. how I didn't know that Jodie Foster kissed another woman on screen. Yeah, that feels like something we should, we, like, should no, I should have known that. Was this, a, uh, but I feel like, like I didn't early in her career, kind of thing. Was she? Yeah, it'd be. I'd say she. It was pre-accused. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I remember. But it was Ooh, after accused. Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. so it was like she okay. was a grown woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I remember just being like, "This is the best thing ever." <laughs> it's a kiss. Yeah. Um, but it was the most chaste, sweet thing on the planet. Yeah. But yeah, I cherished it. Yeah. Because the representation was just so meager back then. Oh, yeah. But yeah, you'll Google it, you'll see. If I'm thinking about TV specifically, uh, the first kiss that I like remember was one that actually didn't appear on screen, and I was so mad about it. <laughs> was that episode of Friends when Monica and Rachel want to get their apartment back, and they say that, and they really want it. Yeah, so they say that they're going to make out, and, and the guys agree to it, and I... I, it was just like, hold on a like second. Like, that's an earth-shattering <laughs> moment. Yeah. Or yeah. at least the promise of that moment. Yeah. So I'm I'm watching and I'm thinking, they're going to they're gonna show this. Oh, this is so exciting because I thought uh, Monica was super hot. Mm-hmm. Um, not Jennifer Aniston. Sorry, Karina. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it, it was like, and then they just like cut away. And then next thing, they, they have their apartment back. Oh, so it's all implied. Yeah. It was pretty funny. I was like, on the condition, yeah. we will make out for one full minute. And then there was like a hug a hug a hug, like yeah. where they both look surprised. And then yeah. just smash cut to them entering their apartment, like totally worth it. Yeah. So you actually thought it was going to happen? Oh, wow. No. Also, Jennifer Anderson's way hotter than Courtney Cox. Come on. Nah. <laughs> Jennifer Aniston just seems so Rachel was straight. way hotter. I don't think so. <sighs> I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. See, like, if, if you seem, like, way too straight, it's, like, negative hotness points oh, for me. Oh, yeah, I'm the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> I need to know I've got a chance. Yeah. <laughs> With these women just on screen who make a million dollars an episode. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta know. Yeah. All right. <laughs> just reminds me. I remember when Ellen Page came out, and someone's like, "Yes, now I have like just as much of a chance of getting with Ellen Page as I did before. Zero. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Never gonna happen. Awesome." <laughs> uh, Aaron, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us and yeah, talking this about is awesome. thank film you so and much. representation yeah. and being a an expert yeah. on all of this. Can people find your movie on? You can Amazon or yeah, I think it's on Amazon, iTunes, iTunes Hulu, multi platforms of renting or owning. And it's called cool. My Best Day. 
Yes. And I haven't watched it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a, a bad host. I did not watch it, but I will it's watch okay. it because, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's definitely on my list. Uh, but after dis- Disobedience. Oh, yeah. And I yeah. see Disobedience first, and then I'm going to watch My Best Day. Um, and anything else that we should look for? A movie I edited is going to con this year, Ooh. which is exciting. It's up for a Palm Door. So <gasps> right. in a week, I'm going to conveniently forget that it's sexist to have to wear heels on the red carpet. I'm like, fine by me. Because <laughs> <laughs> mostly there's controversy at con, like where it's like you have to wear heels on the red carpet, and I'll be like, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, but, I would. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'll wear a dress. Whatever you want me to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to go there next week, and that'll be really exciting. That's, That's exciting. amazing. Have you been before? No way. To, oh, not yeah. to like, but to the that part of France. No, it's beautiful. My dad lives there. He, he or he's oh. like thirty minutes outside of Cannes. I was going to be. Can I stay at your dad's house? Yeah. <laughs> it's so expensive. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. So we're figuring that out. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, there. I mean the town like transforms oh, sure. during the festival, and it's just prices skyrocket skyrocket but if you do have a chance to get out of there there are so many cool little villages and stuff around that i highly recommend like renting a car or finding somebody who has a car or hitchhiking i don't know but uh check out the area because it's one of my favorite places in the world all right and back to us rate us and review (laughs) us on itunes uh follow us on facebook twitter instagram handle diking out um, if you have questions for us, a topic you want us to explore, a guest that you think we should have on the podcast, maybe send us an email, dykingout at gmail.com. And if you're able to, please support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash dykingout to help us keep this podcast going. And you can get cool things. We got the, the tattoos in. We have mm-hmm. the pins. We're ready to mail out that gay gay swag so um, thank you for all of our supporters so far it means the world to us thank you for listening and dike out with us next week bye that was an aggressive bye that was an aggressive bye bye, bye. bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.